0: Welcome once again to At Home in Your Hymnal. This is Pastor Clint Poppy, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We thank you for tuning in here on KNNA 95.7 The Cross in Lincoln, Nebraska. We have a special guest today to help us as we are at home in our hymnal. We have Pastor Brent Kuhlman from Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska. Thank you for joining us, Pastor Kuhlman. Great to be with you. Thanks for the invitation. Look forward to it. We'll have a blast. Yeah, well, we hear uh, Pastor Kuhlman on a regular basis here on... KNNA 95.7. You can hear him especially on Mondays with Nebraska Table Talks. And we are looking forward to hearing his new Bible study on the Gospel of Mark. And so we are um, we are truly blessed to have you on the radio station. People love to hear you and your teaching. And so today we have a, a wonderful opportunity to look specifically at the hymnal, why we have a hymnal, why Lutherans worship with a hymnal, and what difference it makes with regard to our theology, our practice, and our personal faith. I want to, I know one of your uh, favorite professors at the seminary, one that uh, scared the bejeebers out of me all the time, <laughs> but uh, Dr. Noah Nagle, and uh, he's the author of the Introduction to Lutheran Worship. We've uh, talked about this uh, briefly on one of our previous programs, but let me just share these words once again from Dr. Nagel, the introduction to LW, and I'd like to have your uh, observations and critique, Pastor Coolman. Our Lord speaks and we listen. His word bestows what it says. Faith that is born from what is heard acknowledges the gifts received with eager thankfulness and praise. Music is drawn into this thankfulness and praise, enlarging and elevating the adoration of our gracious giver God, saying back to him what he has said to us. We repeat what is most true and sure. Most true and sure is his name, what he put upon us in the water of our baptism. We are his. This we acknowledge at the beginning of the divine service. And it goes on with the other mm-hmm. gifts that God gives. Mm-hmm. Pastor, your, uh, your comment and reflection on those words from Dr. Nagel. Well, he's captured the biblical
1: teaching on worship, or if you want to use the term liturgy. And the primary part of it is the very first sentence right out of the chute, our Lord speaks. So who's doing that? He is. And we're simply given to. He speaks. We listen. This incorporates the fundamental teaching of the Bible and which gets carried on by the Lutheran Reformation. So when you have a hymnal or liturgy, like we have in the Missouri Senate with Lutheran service book, we have the biblical teaching going on, namely that Jesus is the one who is among us who serves. He's serving us. That's what he says in Luke 22, remember, on the night when he was betrayed and instituted the Lord's Supper. It focuses again our attention from Matthew 20 and the parallel in Mark's gospel where Jesus says, you know, I didn't come to be served, folks. (laughs) You know, I'm paraphrasing. I didn't come to be served, but I've come to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And if I may, another passage. This would be from John's gospel, again, John 13. Again, we're in the upper room, you remember. And you remember what Jesus tells the disciples. He says, you know, uh, I'm going to wash your feet, you know, that kind of thing. And he does. And what does Peter? Peter objects to it. Remember? Yes. Not, uh, never will you wash my feet. <laughs> yeah. Never. Peter won't be served by the Lord. Uh, the Lord is there as one who has come to serve. And Peter says, oh, you'll never wash my feet, man. Don't do that. You're not supposed to be doing that. We should be serving you. See, Peter's like an American evangelical or Roman Catholic when it comes to worship. Right? Absolutely. You remember what Jesus says? He says to Peter, you know, if I don't wash your feet, buddy, you have no share in me. Now that right there tells it all for me. That if you if you're not in church willing to be given to like Peter or if you want to do a Eucharist that's that's the big terminology. To, if you're there to do a thanksgiving for the Lord if that's all you're there to do and not be served by him you don't have a part of Jesus. You see what's at stake? So when you have a hymnal like we have in Lutheran service book we get it right and as you read the words from Dr. Nagel we get it biblically right. Jesus. He's there as God for you to serve you with the very benefits of the salvation that he won for you on the cross. And that's
0: what hymnal all about. Well, I'm a little bit confused, Pastor, because I was taught from little on that we go to church and in church we have this back and forth between the pastor and the people called a liturgy. And I grew up with a hymnal. We have this liturgy. And I was told that the word liturgy means work of the people. You were taught that, really? I was taught that the liturgy is something that I am doing for God. I was taught that in a Lutheran church, Missouri Synod Church. Now, I probably wasn't, oh, maybe high school, uh, early college age before I even knew enough to ask those kind of questions, but I was taught that this is what we do for God. And this is at a time when the Chicago Folk Mass was Mm -hmm. being introduced into some of our churches, uh, the uh, hymnal supplement... Uh, from 1969, that little red or blue yeah, right, uh, addition one, to yeah. uh, TLH. And so um, there are many people, and it's not just me, and it's not just some in the Lutheran church, there are many people that have a fundamental understanding of why they go to church. They go to church to do something for God, this liturgy definition or explanation. And that seems to fly in the face Uh, maybe even be diametrically opposed to those words of Dr. Nagel in the front part of our hymnal. How how can we sort that out? Here's how you sort it out. First of all, yeah, you do things when you go to church, but the
1: primary motion, the primary thing is that the Lord serves, the Lord speaks, he gives. And then we say back to him what he said to us as the uh, introduction to Lutheran worship teaches. And those gifts that the Lord gives in word and sacrament, they do enliven you. It enlivens the faith. It strengthens the faith. And faith lives a life of love out in the world where you live, your vocation. So, and, and it also is enlivened in the service itself. So the Lord speaks, we listen. We say back to him what he said to us. And you know, when you're given a gift, what do you say? Thank, Thank you. Thank you, exactly. And
0: so the so praise, is that doing a Eucharist, or what do they mean by that?
1: Well, they don't mean that. They, they get it backwards. They, they think the Eucharist comes first, and that's the primary thing. They forget the gift that's being given. See, that's the primary fault of uh, worship, leadership, and worship theology today. So the rhythm of worship, biblically speaking, is the Lord speaks, he gives, we listen, we receive. His gifts have their way with us, And what is it? It enlivens and strengthens faith. And so faith can't help but say, thank you. We give praise to you. Um, We pray and and ask him for help. So that's the rhythm of worship. Notice how it works in the hymnal. The uh, first part of the service, uh, we invoke God's name. By invoking his name according to his promise, like in Exodus 20 and Matthew 18, etc., he's there with his name to bless. And then we confess our sins because we're in the presence of the Lord, aren't we? And then he absolves us. He forgives us. And then we pray and we praise and give thanks. And then we hear his word read and preached. And what do we do in response? We, we pray, praise, and give thanks. And then he speaks again. It's like you can't shut the Lord up. He's just constantly talking. And Well, that's the way it is. Let there be light. He's always talking, right? And God said, and God said, and just read Genesis 1 and do it. God said, God said, God said. God said. Okay, so and then he speaks again. Eat, drink. It's my body. It's my blood. It's given and shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And what do we do in response? Now let your servant depart in peace because my eyes have seen your salvation. Prayer, praise, and thanksgiving. That's the rhythm, but the rhythm has to be proper. First things first. Lord speaking. Lord giving.
0: So is it possible to give thanksgiving prayer, praise, all these things that we talked about that that are really on the response end, is it even possible to do these things or to do these things well or uh, satisfactorily if the Word of God is not present, if God has been shut up and the primary purpose of worship is what we do, what we say, what we think, what we feel? The
1: answer is no. Let me put it this way. You know, one of the fathers in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate, he was a disciple and a student of C.F.W. Walther. His name's Franz Pieper. Remember, he wrote this three-volume dogmatics that you had to read when you were a seminarian, Clint. Yes, I did. If I remember correctly, wink, wink. Uh, you know, when you couldn't fall asleep at night, you'd get peeper out, right? <laughs> That's a
0: bad joke, sorry. Well, I had to read the footnotes <laughs> because I had uh, one young G for two of my three <laughs> systematics classes, and he would quiz us not only on the contents of peeper, but also on the footnotes of peeper. So you had to know it inside and out. Cruel and unusual punishment. There you go. My point with peeper is
1: that he was bang on when he said there's only two religions in the world. One is the law and one is the gospel
0: oh that that i i've heard that there's only two religions in the world the do religions and the done religion but uh that uh, that intrigues me law and gospel go on well this this it has a
1: correlation with regard to what we're talking about worship or being at home in the hymnal because there is a worship according to the law and there's a worship according to the gospel when you define going to church as you got to go do your thing that's a religion of the Law, when when uh, properly biblically speaking, when you say you go to church to let the Lord have His say and let the Lord give you His gifts, that's a religion of the gospel. Gospel, and I don't think we take that very seriously in in the church anymore. But that's why I bring this up. I think we need to make that correlation because normally, now again, I'm speaking in general to make my point. (laughs) Most people will say that worship's just adiaphora. It's just adiaphora you know, we can drop these certain things, et cetera, or we can add certain things. And we don't even think about it in the terms of the proper distinction between the law and the gospel. And secondly, correlated, cor- correlated with that is I would contend maybe to whet everybody's appetite for future episodes here is that to be home in the hymnal and to piggyback on what we've just talked about, the hymnal makes sure that the, the person lives by faith alone in Jesus Christ, which is worship according to the gospel because faith is simply given
0: to in the proper sense. You've given us much to think about, Pastor Kuhlman, and we need to take a short break. When we come back from the break, we want to talk about what the Reformation has to do with worship? Is worship an adiaphora with regard to the Reformation? We've been celebrating the 500th anniversary of the posting of the 95 Theses, and for about the next 25 or 35 years, we're going to have anniversary after anniversary of many historic events in the church and specifically in Lutheranism. How are we to look at worship in this regard we want to pick that up when we come back from our break this is at home in your hymnal for pastor coolman this is pastor poppy we'll be right back
1: you are listening to knna lp 95.7 fm lincoln nebraska
0: Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal. This is Pastor Clint Poppy. Along with me today is our special guest, Pastor Brent Kuhlman, Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska. We're talking about worship being at home in your hymnal. At the last segment, we talked about the rhythm of worship God speaks and then we receive. That seems so profound, but it's also uh, just the opposite of so many people's worship experience today, where the primary thing is what we do, our actions, our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions for God. I left Pastor Kuhlman with a question before we took our break, and uh, not that he needed any extra time to uh, think about it or dwell on it, but we're in the midst of celebrating a series of Reformation 500 events in the Lutheran Church and really all throughout the Protestant Church, and my question has to do with worship. Did the Reformation... Which most people, including the recent uh, PBS documentary, you know, that talked about an idea that changed the world, um, uh, I'm, I'll save that for another day. The gospel is not an idea. Uh, the gospel is the flesh and blood of Jesus bleeding and dying and rising for you. But there was nothing in that PBS special. That talked about worship. I've been hearing very, very little (laughs) coming out of uh, of St. Louis or Minneapolis or any of the other so-called hubs of Lutheranism with regard to Reformation and worship. So what are we to make of this, Pastor Kuhlman? Is there a worship component to the Reformation?
1: Yeah, it's the heart of it, I would contend. And when you don't make this connection, there's a huge weakness and you're not connecting the dots for for the, to say it the best way, you're at least not connecting the dots. You may be able to say things correctly, but you can't uh, pick up what I'm throwing down. So again, we talked about two kinds of uh, religions, law, gospel, and we correlated that with there's two kinds of worship. One is the worship of the law. One is the worship of the gospel. Again, the worship of law is the addiction of the old Adam. I mean, the old Adam is just addicted to doing what? To try and please God, to put him in a headlock, if you will, by what you do, by what you pray, by what you say, or by how you praise God. <laughs> okay? uh, whereas when, when, when you talk about worship in the way of the gospel, it's, it's primarily saying that Jesus is the one who serves Jesus is the one who gives. That's first and primary. And so faith in Jesus. Remember, what's the mantra of the Reformation, which which is the
0: biblical one? We are justified by? By grace alone, through faith alone, on account of the person and work of Jesus alone, as revealed in Scripture alone, to God alone be the glory. All right, so let's let's piggyback on one of those solas. Faith alone.
1: Faith is the highest worship. Did you hear what I just said? Faith is the highest worship of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is to say, when you're given to by the Lord and you say, thank you, gift given, gift received, amen, that's the highest worship that you can give Jesus, which is another way of saying the highest worship that you can give Jesus is to just simply be passive.
0: Simply be passive. And so, Do you realize, Pastor Kuhlman, do you realize how scandalous that statement is? That any form of worship, much less the highest form of worship, is faith. That flies in the face of not only what the old Adam wants to do in pleasing God, but what the old Adam wants to do in pleasing self. I understand that. The old Adam, uh, it's
1: against the old Adam. It's the religion of the law. That's why this is so because it, it, what I just said, the religion of the gospel is a total in total opposition to the religion of the law. now, if I may let's let's say say some more about the Lutheran reformation, just just a few words if I may, yeah, please do, okay, so justified by faith alone, this is what the Bible's all about, by the way, Paul says this in Romans one, quoting Habakkuk, that's what the entire scripture is about. You're saved by Christ alone, and so you're saved by faith because faith trusts only in him, and that's the highest worship. So my point is this: that doctrine and worship go together, or worship and doctrine go together. Luther knew this more than we do. We've forgotten this. So let's just do a quick review. Um, how, how shall I say this? Justification by faith, as Luther taught it from the scriptures, was a
0: practical matter. This is not just some Wighead university thing at Wittenberg, but it was so, a so it's more of it's more than an idea correct. or a concept or some platonic notion that's just kind of floating around out in thin air. This has to do with pastoral care. The
1: highest of pastoral care. Because when the Reformation happened, it affected the daily liturgical life of every Christian
0: that heard of the Reformation or came in to live with it. Which, which makes perfect sense because where do most Christians if I if I want to use the terminology of our evangelical brothers, where do most Christians encounter God on a regular basis? It's in Sunday morning worship. This is where the pastor meets most people. Uh, you can't make a home visit to all of your members each week where pastor and people come together. Under the word of God, it's in the worship service. So what you're saying about the dramatic effect of the theology of the Reformation being impacted on the people as they worship makes perfect sense.
1: Yeah, what I'm trying to say, and I'm going to repeat it again so there's no misunderstanding. Justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ is at the heart of the Lutheran Reformation and it therefore was a very practical matter because it had to do with the things that these people encountered in the liturgy or worship. For example, confession and absolution. And that had to do with what? It was our work. Are you really sorry? Have you confessed all the mortal sins? Have you made the proper satisfaction? That's a religion of the law. It's what we do. And so the Reformation said, well, let's not focus so much on what's going on inside of us the amount of confession, the amount of our sorrow, and whether or not we've made satisfaction to satisfy temporal punishment by the church. Let's focus on what the Lord says. He says, you're forgiven. I I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, the pastor would say either publicly at the time of the Reformation or individually. He may have said it a different way, you know, but we're used to saying it that way. Sure. But that was at the heart of it all. The fact, so you get what I'm saying? Absolutely, the p- faith. So the highest worship then was what to say, Amen. The pastor said,
0: as an ambassador of Christ, that he died for me and that I'm forgiven, Amen. <laughs> well, in uh, Luther's Small Catechism, where he talks about the um, uh, the words, and I'm thinking specifically in the part on the Lord's Supper here, where the most important words in the words of institution are for you, for you. Is this something that that was uh, buried and then now emphasized in a new way, in a clear way in, at the time of the Reformation?
1: Yes. In fact, one could contend, based upon what we've just been talking about, that this gets to the heart of the matter again. Because the Mass, and this is how the Lord's Supper was described at the time of the Lutheran Refor- Reformation, the Mass was what the priest did, namely offering the body and blood of Christ to... God the Father, notice the direction, the priest is offering it up to God the Father as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the living and the dead. So the direction's wrong, and more importantly, uh, the Lord's Supper then has become the atoning sacrifice. And so the Bible doesn't teach that, by the way, and so Luther learned this from the scriptures. That the Lord's Supper is the Lord's gift. Remember, I am among you as one who serves. Remember how we started all this? Absolutely. Okay? So I am among you as one who serves. And what does he serve us with? His body and blood, with the bread and the wine, with his word of promise, given and shed for for you. you. For you talk is gift talking. When you give Barb, your wife, a gift, like on an anniversary or birthday or Christmas, you always say what? Here, honey, this is... For the, you.
0: Th- this is a gift in general. That's, <laughs> no, yeah, that's what, yeah, yeah that, that that's how you would get slapped on an anniversary or birthday gift. Of course, it is for you. And the point,
1: again, is, is that with the Lutheran Reformation, worship has
0: everything to
1: do with being justified by faith alone. And so in the Lord's Supper, as well as baptism, um, the absolution, the preaching of the gospel from the pulpit, the sinner confesses that he or she is a sinner for whom jesus died and faith trusts the delivery of that forgiveness in the word and the sacrament so you so again in worship <laughs> in worship the lord is serving us the benefits of his good friday dying and we live by faith alone in him so you see the connection here absolutely the lutheran reformation at the heart of the lutheran reformation was worship and what's the highest worship? Now you can read the Apology Article 4 on this, folks. If you're interested, Poppy can fill you in on, on the exact paragraphs, etc. Or if you're interested, just give me a call, I'll fill you in. But the Apology of the Augsburg Confession uh yeah, the Apology of the Augsburg Confession constantly says that the highest worship of Christ is faith. faith.
0: Yeah. Faith. When uh, when we're talking about the heart of the Reformation being worship and how God delivers these gifts for you, to the, to the sinner, to the soul that is uh, burdened with sin. Many people today, especially uh, liturgical scholars, they, they scoff at uh, the notion of Luther being any kind of a theologian with regard to worship. They mock him. They uh, would consider him a liturgical nitwit. How do you square what you've just said with regard to worship being at the heart and core of the Lutheran Reformation and this modern thought that Luther didn't know what he was doing? It's nothing new. The
1: modern scholars are religion of the law scholars. The old Adam is running the show. (laughs) And secondly, since the old Adam's running the show... They will not be justified by faith alone in Christ. These scholars will justify themselves. Guess what? Through their own words. Not the biblical words, like Romans 1, where Paul quotes Habakkuk. and other words, that we're going to look at here later in another episode. But they have better words than the Lord. They're, they're the Genesis 3 kind of scholars. Oh, you can't trust the Lord's word and what he says and what he promises. Don't live by faith alone in Jesus. Take matters into your own hands. Take charge of your own justification. That's what we're dealing with. And by the way, most of the world, I said world, celebrations of the Reformation run things in that way. And they'll say that the Reformation, Luther, all that was a mistake. Let's get back to what the Bible really teaches. It's a justification of the self, which is the old medieval way, the old Genesis 3 way.
0: So it's not that the modern scholars don't understand Luther. Oh, they
1: know exactly what he's teaching. They simply reject it. Yeah, because that, that, that the old Adam hates it. And you can get a degree. The old Adam loves these degrees to oppose the Word of God. I, can, I guarantee you I could go apply for a Ph.D. program, and if I said that my goal in the study is to disprove the Reformation and show how Luther was wrong, I'd be picked up as a student as fast as you can say Bob's your uncle. But if I would do the opposite and say, I want to show in my Ph.D. work the gem and treasure of the Reformation, I'd be rejected outright. But again, why is this happening? Well, the old Adam's having its way. That's the devil's having his way.
0: (laughs) We need to take a short break. We've been having a lot of fun here. and When we come back from our break, I want to ask uh, Pastor Kuhlman about the five different divine services that are in Lutheran service book. And we're certainly not going to go through each one of them, but I want to know how this heart core soul of the Reformation being worship, how is this transmitted or translated or conveyed to the people of God sitting in the pew right here and right now in Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod congregations that are actually using the hymnal, Lutheran Service Book. We want to see if our liturgies are actually being faithful to the Reformation. This is Pastor Poppy at home in your hymnal. We'll be right back. Don't go away.
1: at noon on KNNA.
0: Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal. This is Pastor Clint Poppy, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. I'm sitting here today with our special guest, Pastor Brent Kuhlman from Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska. We've been having lots of fun here talking about a theology of worship, but so often when we use the word theology, we're thinking about things that are very heady or obtuse, or things that are not very practical. And Pastor Kuhlman, in our last segment, has uh, told us that the Reformation itself is a very, very practical movement and a practical matter, especially when we look at worship as the heart of of Reformation. He's given us much to think about, much food for thought in this respect. And before we went to the break, I wanted to test the things that we've been talking about here with regard to the for you aspect of the Gospel, the for you understanding of the heart, core, and soul of the Reformation in our Lutheran churches. Most Lutheran churches have Lutheran Service Book, LSB. In LSB, there are five connected, related, but distinct worship services that we would call a divine service, a a communion service. And so... Pastor Kuhlman, I really don't know exactly how you want to uh, dig into this, but are we being faithful to our Reformation heritage? Are we being faithful to God's Word in the Lutheran confessions when we use these orders of worship for our worship service? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And by the way,
1: before we delve into that a little bit more, let's make something very clear to our listeners that with the hymnal Lutheran service book, we have one divine service but there are five
0: settings. Ah, thank you. And let's, also, you. let's
1: also make something clear as well, is that when, when we say divine service as Lutherans, we mean both word and sacrament together. So it's, it's the word read, it's the word preached, and then it's Christ's words that's hooked with the body and blood of Christ. And each give, their, uh, each give the forgiveness of sins in the unique way that they give it. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, let me give you an example. In baptism, the unique way that the Lord delivers the forgiveness of sins that He won at Calvary is that He gives you His name. I, I, I'm not given the name, the triune name, in the Lord's Supper, am I? That's not no. the unique give way of giving it in Lord's Supper, is it? Lord's Supper, it's you eat bread and wine with our Lord's promise that you're also eating and drinking His body and blood and a specific promise, as we talked. In baptism, you're not eating and drinking the Lord's body and blood. See, you understand what I'm saying? Yes,
0: absolutely. Okay,
1: so... Uh, you're given the name and with the name comes salvation as, as Peter says in Acts 2 you know you're baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and when you're baptized in the name of Jesus you're given the forgiveness of sins and then you're also given the gift of the Holy Spirit okay so that's another point I wanted to make now I said yes to your question and I, I stand by it it's categorical and it's definitive because our Lord Jesus Christ has mandated that is to say, he's commanded and he's instituted certain ways that he then delivers the very forgiveness that he won for us
0: on, the, on, on Good Friday. I've heard you speak before, Pastor, and this, uh, this understanding of mandate and institution is very, very prominent in in your teaching, right? This
1: this is the this is the Lutheran biblical teaching. Remember, Jesus he uh, he lambasts the Jewish leaders when he says, "In vain, do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men." Yeah, that's Matthew fifteen. Uh, the Lutheran Reformation says, "You know what? When it comes to worship, remember that I just quoted a worship passage." When it comes to worship, you better do what the Lord mandates, not what men mandate. And so when you read the confessions, whether it's the Augsburg Confession, the Apology, the small called articles, the large catechism, doesn't matter. All of these confessional documents always make the point against Rome that we will follow what the Lord says. Because you remember the Father says, you remember this in the scriptures, in Matthew 17, verse 5, what's the Father tell us to do? Listen to him namely jesus and so when it comes to worship we'd better do what our lord's mandated and instituted so all right let's be more specific because everybody's going okay okay come on give us the goods what does he mandate and institute are you ready for it i'm ready all right let's just go through the list matthew 16 matthew 18 john 20 the office of the office of the keys okay Whosoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Or whatever you bind on earth, that is to say, whatever you don't forgive on earth is not forgiven in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. office of the, That's what he commands to be done. And and so pastors are commanded to forgive sins. <laughs> we are. Now, I know people quibble about how that should be done, but he commands pastors to do that. So in Lutheran service book, right out of the chute on Sunday morning in I think it's all five settings, right? All five settings. And I'm going to just use this uh, formula. Upon this, your confession, I, by virtue of my office, as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God to you. And in the stead and by the command of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And if you go to like page, I think it's page 292. I'm doing this off the top of my head. If you go to page 292, double check me, you've got another way that the pastor can give it to somebody, and that would be individually, as the small catechism teaches. You know, the fifth chief part in the small catechism is geared to teach people to how to grab their pastor by the ear and say, you know, pastor, you talk a lot. Why don't you sit down and listen for a minute? Put your vestments on, sit up by the altar. I've got something that's bothering me badly. I can't sleep at night. I need to get it off my chest. I want to make a confession. Will you hear my confession and forgive me for Christ's sake? And the pastor say, "Well, of course I will." That's page two ninety-two. So is that that's mandate institution? The hymnal makes sure that gets done. That also gets done when the gospel when when the when the pastor gets up on the pulpit and preaches, right? Yes, the pastor will identify everybody as a sinner who needs a savior. And that Savior has come, and he's died for you, and therefore you are forgiven. And by the way, preaching had better be doing that. <laughs> you know you where know, I'm going with this, don't I you? I sure do. I mean, think about it. If Kuhlman gets up in the pulpit, and the hymnal, will make sure this gets done, that he's supposed to get up in the pulpit and preach based upon the words that we've just heard, either from a prophet, an apostle, or from the uh, the Lord himself recorded by one of the evangelists. That pastor had better preach that word of God faithfully Now imagine if I get up on the pulpit and I say, you know, Jesus died, Jesus rose. That's true, isn't it?
0: That that is true. It's absolutely true. But have I preached the gospel? No, you haven't. You've left out the two words that we've been talking about are so crucial to the Reformation and to a proper understanding of Scripture. Right. For you.
1: Right. And, And Peter does that. Again, I quoted Acts 2 earlier. Let me quote it again. He says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise, namely, forgiveness, gift of the Holy Spirit, given in baptism, this promise is for you (laughs) and your household. And your children, for your children, and for all, he says, which matches the Matthew 28 mandate on baptism. So let's carry this even further. We've got time, don't we? Oh, absolutely. All right, so Office of the Keys. We talked about the preaching of the gospel from the pulpit, which would fit with Mark 16, proclaim the gospel to all creation. All right. And of course, you've got the parallels in Mark's gospel with what we just talked about as well. Um, Let's push another one. Matthew 28. You make disciples. How? By baptizing and teaching in the triune name and then teaching them to observe everything I've commanded. So baptism. LSB's got the baptismal right. We make sure that people are baptized. And then secondly, the the hymnal gets it right. The beginning of the service, each setting, if you will, as well as the private individual way, we live in and from our baptisms into Christ by repenting of our sin and believing in Jesus who died for us. And by the way, there is that we 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 promise that we will lead holy lives according to his word. That's baptismal living and the hymnal gets it right. That third part, you know, living holy lives according to God's word. How wonderfully the hymnal gets that when we want to do what God's will is and walk in his ways according to his will. Pleasure will take pleasure in that kind of stuff, you see.
0: I'm making sense. You, you certainly are. And I know our hear, hearers are, uh, I'm sure, uh, lapping this up with regard to this mandate and institution talk, how God has has said, these are the things that you need to do. These are the ways that I have instituted. I can be any place, but I have put my promise on these specific things.
1: So that you will live by faith
0: alone in me for salvation. See, that's the kicker. And these are the things that are emphasized, that are primary in the the various settings of the divine service in Lutheran service books. So when someone comes into a Lutheran church and they see these things going on, especially if someone is not familiar with regard to a... Uh, yeah, they think uh, you're a
1: cross-dresser when they come to your church because, well, you know, you wear this silly
0: white thing and you look like a
1: transvestite.
0: Well, they, <laughs> they, they see a pastor wearing a robe and immediately they think well this must be a roman catholic church although
1: maybe maybe you know after you sent me that thing about the the elca congregation in raleigh north carolina maybe that's how you ought to advertise yourself as being a cross dresser because then that's how you grow a church yeah (laughs) that'll that'll pack them
0: in that'll pack them in there are things that people see when they come into a lutheran church things that people hear that oftentimes are different if they've come from an a evangelical um, Bible uh, worship kind of a uh, uh, background. And how do we get people to see, Pastor Coolman, that these things are not adiaphora. These things are primary with regard to how God delivers his gifts to his people. We need to do them. And for that,
1: you've been given the hymnal. It's that simple. Uh, it, I'm going to make a general observation. There, there can be exceptions, of course, but generally speaking, if a congregation isn't using the hymnal, one has to ask why not. What you might discover is is that they don't want to do what our Lord's mandated and instituted for the sake of making sure that people live by faith alone. Now, let me let me continue if I can. If I can back the bus up since I drive bus, let's back it up a little bit. Beep, beep, let's let's beep. rejoice in all the more about how the the hymnal makes sure that what our Lord's mandated gets done so that we live by faith alone in Him. Okay? Okay. So uh, we've, talked about, we've talked about Matthew 16, Matthew 18, John 20. Uh, we've mentioned Matthew 28. Let's mention a few other passages. Matthew 26, verses 26 to 28, the parallels in Mark and Luke, as well as Paul's reciting of these words to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11. What am I talking about? The verba. The Lord's Supper. Jesus says to do it. But it's for you. It's a gift. He says, do this so that you receive the benefits of my dying. So the very body and blood that we eat and drink with the bread and the wine are the very body and blood that Jesus offered up on the cross for our salvation. Now, unlike Rome, the Lord's Supper is not the atoning sacrifice. Calvary's that. Only Calvary is the atoning sacrifice. Good Friday, not the Lord's Supper. So I want to repeat this. The Lord's Supper is not the atoning sacrifice. The Lord's Supper is the delivery of the benefits of that Good Friday atoning sacrifice when Jesus says, it's done, it's finished. The hymn will make sure that that gets done so that you live by faith in his promise that you're forgiven for his sake. Let's do another one. Mark 16. we got time? Yes. One more. i got do two more. How about that? Okay, we'll do two in. more. Mark 16. I mentioned this before. Jesus mandates that the, the the apostles, that is to say, his ministers, together with the church, who's when you've got the twelve, even though um, Judas is, isn't there, they fill it. You've got twelve. You've got pastors and church, and so we are to make sure that the gospel is preached to all creation, and the hymnal makes sure that that gets done. And then finally, Luke twenty-four verse forty-seven, our Lord risen from the dead. He says, "Now look, boys, I want you to preach repentance." and forgiveness of sins. Law, gospel, life of holy baptism too, by the way. And the hymnal does that, doesn't it?
0: It does it and it does it clearly. And I think in many ways that people have taken for granted or people just have not clearly seen that this is a faithful way for the people of God to receive the gifts of God. Those
1: are not indifferent things. Those are things the Lord says you must do. And it's not so, oh, now I'm obedient. Now pat me on the back and give me kudos. No, it's it's. he commands it for the sake of us living by faith in his gospel.
0: We need to take a break. When we come back from our break, I want to ask Pastor Kuhlman about that phrase that he just used. He said, these are not indifferent things. Many times people, especially Lutherans, might use the word adiaphora, which means in different things, things that don't matter, uh, with regard to worship. And so pretty much anything goes. Uh, we want to get Pastor Kuhlman's comments and reflections on that when we come back. This is At Home in Your Hymnal. We're going to take a short break. Don't go away. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal. This is Pastor Clint Poppy. Along with me is our special guest, Pastor Brent Coolman. Welcome back again, Pastor Coolman. Thank you very much. Good to be with you. Our uh, our break this segment was a little bit longer than normal, uh, and uh, that's kind of an inside joke. It was about ten days uh, due to a uh, technical glitch by yours truly. But here we are with the last part. And when we left our um, Hearers, our program, I left Pastor Coolman with a question. He was talking about the things that, that happen in worship, the things that are essential or characteristic of what worship is. God gives, we receive. And he used a phrase in that last segment where he said, these things, or these are not indifferent things. These are not in indifferent things, and then I said, well, a lot of times when Lutherans hear that that phrase in different things, they think of the term adiaphora. right and so pastor i want to I want to take you to that, and i I want to flesh that out. What did you mean when you said these things are not in different things? So we've got really two things going there.
1: Well, first of all, uh, just to repeat. What our Lord has mandated and instituted, we cannot say no. If we do, we're being unfaithful. So that's what I mean. They're indifferent. And the reason why our Lord has mandated the preaching of the gospel, repentance and forgiveness of sins, uh, why he's instituted the office of keys, the Lord's Supper, uh, baptism and teaching all things in the way of Matthew 28.20, these are the things that our Lord's mandated to be done for the sake of people repenting, Living by faith and leading a holy life according to His Word, or to put it another way, this is the way the Lord wants to be worshipped, and the highest worship of the Lord is faith. So we can't say no, thank you. We can do without. Okay, does that make sense?
0: Absolutely, right. absolutely.
1: We we never do without what the Lord's given to us to do and to receive. Now, when it, there, are, uh, Lutherans are are always quick to talk about adiaphora when it comes to worship, and I think what we've identified in our talk. Uh, in these programs is that uh, we first of all have to say what's the Lord said what has he said that needs to be done and we've identified that Uh, but the problem again comes with this word adiaphora and I what I want to do next if I can Clint is I want to give some of the the Lutheran historical background of this term and maybe this will help people understand how to use it properly
0: and uh, how we we should continue to use it properly. That that would be very good because we're about to be embarking upon our study of Adiaphora in our Sunday morning Formula of Concord uh, Bible study as well. We're on uh, Article 8 now, and I believe Adiaphora comes around 11? It's 10, 10, Article 10. 10. Okay, thank you.
1: Well, so for example, um, Formula of Concord, Solid declaration, this is Article 10, paragraph 1, flat out says this, and I quote Ceremonies and church rites, these are adiaphora, and here's the kicker, that are neither commanded nor forbidden in God's word. So, ceremony, notice it's ceremonies and church rites. It's not things that our Lord's mandated necessarily, like, like we've talked about. Yes. Okay. Although there's always ceremony and there's always rites. But generally speaking, those things are man made. And so if if they're neither commanded or forbidden in God's word, well, then they're called adiaphra. Now, this term came about because um, there was a war that was fought after Luther's death, or a battle, yeah, war and battles were fought after Luther's death, where you have these Lutheran princes that formed the small called League, and then they're defeated by Charles V's armies And so, as a result, Charles, together with some of the Roman bishops and princes, decides all right, we're going to impose a church law, and not just a church law, but uh, an imperial law, which would be empire law, on these Lutherans. And this law was called the Augsburg Interim, and it was uh, made law in June of 1548. Now, again, this is the Roman party says, all right, now you Lutherans are going to have to do certain things. in your church services. Okay, you're gonna have to do them. All right now, the first thing I wanna say before we go on with this historical study is that this term of Adi offer that's used by our Lutheran fathers in the Book of Concord and especially the Solid Declaration, Article ten, they use the word not because of now pay pay very careful attention to what Barry say. They use this word not because of internal disunity. That is to say disunity among the Lutherans themselves. You follow that? Yes. But rather, the word is used in response to external forces, for lack of better terminology. What I mean by that is teachers, that would be bishops, in connection with the Pope, (laughs) and civil authorities, like the emperor and princes, that wanted to impose Roman ceremonies and rites on the Lutherans. So to make that clear, the Lutherans were not having an argument among themselves about these things. It was being imposed upon them in two ways, externally, by the civil authorities and by the churchly authorities. Does that make
0: sense? It does, and it's just the opposite of how we look at things today because we look at this as uh, more of an internal kind of a struggle and... um, what makes someone a true Lutheran as opposed to a false Lutheran or I'm more Lutheran than you yeah. because I, I do this ceremony or I don't do that ceremony. And Very I guess, helpful.
1: And I think one thing I should say before I forget because the dementia, you know, kicks in periodically. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's not forget that before the formula, Article 10 was written and then adopted. Let's not forget the history and the context of it where you have civil authorities. Did you hear what I just said? You have civil authorities, including the emperor and princes that are imposing how the church is to worship. That's a huge problem. Let's never forget that. (laughs) And by the way, uh, this brings to mind that I think very soon, I hope I'm wrong, but I think very soon we're going to have civil authorities telling us how we can worship. Number one, you can't say, uh, that jesus is exclusive when it comes to, people laugh at this when i say this but i think it could happen i'm saying that the civil authorities may tell us someday and it might be quite soon the you lutherans in the missouri senate and others like roman catholics etc you who say that salvation is exclusive that is, it's states only in jesus christ ah uh-uh, you can't do that anymore that's un pc
0: you know what i'm saying i do and what i what i have sensed already and it's not uh uh, mandated yet but it is certainly a, a politically correct thing that is encouraged is to use uh, the use of gender specific right. pronouns right. the use of uh, the whole transgender right. labels these kind of things. Uh, it's 10 years ago people would have laughed at you if you would have made the suggestion of how things are
1: today. Oh my Bible class always laughs at me and I said I've been saying this for years but my point is this again, these are external forces. That are imposing upon the Lutherans, this is how you must worship. Therefore, in June of fifteen forty eight, with the imperial law that is passed by the Emperor called the Augsburg Interim, because that's where it was passed, the, the Roman Catholic Party in league with the, the Roman Emperor said, All right, Lutherans, we'll allow you to have your pastors marry. Okay, we'll we'll concede that. It was, it's kinda like the art of the deal to talk in uh, today's language. Sure. Okay, so we'll permit your pastors to marry, and you know what? We'll be even more generous will let you Lutherans commune in two kinds. That is to say, you can receive the bread and you can also receive the wine. We won't insist on you only receiving in one kind, namely the bread. However, giving with one hand, they would take away with the other. And so the Augsburg interim then imposed, and again, I stress this by imperial law, Roman Catholic doctrine that is hooked with Roman Catholic doctrine ceremonies. And now I use that terminology on purpose because again in Solid Declaration Article 10 paragraph 1 adiaphora ceremonies and church rites were neither commanded nor forbidden in God's word. However, when a when a civil government says you must have these ceremonies and the the, the art of the deal for these guys was a hidden agenda, will introduce Roman Catholic ceremonies and rites. For example, you're going to have to use an altar that, you know, it looks high altar. You know, looks Roman priestly vestments. And the big vestment there was the uh, chasuble. Okay. Um, church vessels, uh, banners, crosses, candles, pictures, et cetera. But the point was, we'll give on the one hand communion of two kinds and the marriage of priests. But you've got to give us something in return. The things I just mentioned. The point is this, is that these civil and church authorities, one, they knew the connection <laughs> that we've forgotten. And we must learn. They knew the connection, and it was an intimate connection, between Roman doctrine and certain ceremonies. In other words, we're going to win back these Lutherans, these evangelicals. We're going to win their hearts, and we're going to win their minds through distinctive Roman ceremonies and beliefs in Roman doctrine would then follow. That is style and substance go together, if you will. Make sense?
0: Absolutely. And uh, today, there are many people inside and outside of the Lutheran Church that would say that the style is completely irrelevant and would have no bearing whatsoever uh, on the faith, the faith in the heart. There's a there's a phrase that is used quite often, Pastor, with regard to this. Uh, I'll try to get it right, this Latin phrase, lex orande, yeah. lex credende. Could you uh, give us a few words on that?
1: Well, what you, what you believe. Is how you're going to pray, or vice
0: versa, how you pray is what you're going to believe. How, do, how does that tie in with what you just said? Well, here? it's very similar. The Roman,
1: the Roman party knew exactly that, uh, if we if we introduce these ceremonies, then we can win them back to the Roman Catholic doctrine. Like, for example, praying to the saints, uh, Mary as the Ever Virgin Mary and Co Redeemer. The Pope is the only authority in the Church. The sacrifice of the Mass to atone for the sins of the living. And the dead. Now you can just imagine then, uh, you have Melanchthon and many of his followers <laughs> at Wittenberg said, okay, we can go along with that. You know, kind of like the Republicans in Congress now on specific issues going on today. Sure. They'll say, okay, well, we can go along with that because these things are
0: indifferent.
1: Off- yeah, they're adiaphora Okay. And they, they then talked about, well, the, what happened as a result of this was called the Leipzig interim. Another law was introduced. And part of the Leipzig Interim, when Melanchthon said, "Okay, we can go along with this stuff," and then it's called the Leipzig Interim. Part of the ceremonies that were included was the Corpus Christi Festival. Can you? And if anybody, if you don't know what that is? Good grief! That's when the uh, the priests and the bishop would parade around town the body of Christ from the Lord's Supper in a glass case, and uh, people would have to genuflect and bow and worship the body of Christ as it's paraded around in the streets. Well, Jesus never said to parade his body through the streets. He said, eat it. And, and so if you're a Lutheran and, and you hear Melanchthon and many of his followers saying, well, you know, we can go along with this because it's all Adiaphora anyway. They're saying, now let's wait, 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 just a minute here. Um, because you may claim that it's Adiaphora, but it ceases to be Adiaphora, these ceremonies and rites. Number one, when they're imposed by law. Now, seriously, when it's imposed by law and you don't do it, what are, what are the ramifications? Jail. Or it's a sin. Of course, jail, uh. but it's a sin. It's not just a sin against civil authority. It's a sin against God himself. Okay. If you don't do these things, and secondly, uh, when you're like Melanchthon with the Leipzig Interim and his followers say, well, you know, it's all I ought, to, ought to offer anyway, so we can go ahead and do these things and our faith won't be compromised. Well, can you imagine what the lay people in the, in the uh, churches said about this? They said, whoa, 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 the Reformation must have been a total mistake. And everything's now been reversed uh, because these ceremonies, here's the kicker, the ceremonies deny what? The essence of the biblical teaching and the Reformation is that sinners are justified by faith alone in Christ Jesus.
0: That is, uh, that is the bottom line with everything. That is the heart, the core, the soul of the faith. And there is so much more to talk about on this topic, but unfortunately, we're out of time. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to graciously ask Pastor Coolman to come back, and uh, we're going to pick up with regard to this this whole notion of adiaphora, indifferent things, things that are not indifferent, and some of the worship wars that are going on inside the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, with regard to traditional or contemporary. These are the things that we're going to pick up on when Pastor Coleman comes back again. Pastor, thank you so much for being our special guest here today on At Home in Your Hymnal, and we look forward to having you back very soon. Thanks. I hope it was helpful. Thank you. We'll tune in again.